Thank you for downloading this uh, little mini episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. We've got a live uh, bit of recordings from the launch of this year's Brighton Horror Fest. Bigger and more horrifying than ever. Mm. Launched at the Suite at the Welly in Brighton. Yeah. And uh, what you've got here is a bit of a chat from uh, people like J.D. Henshaw of Sweet Venues and various people who were at the launch uh, advertising bits of their shows. Mm. And we chat to them about their shows and also what their favourite scary movie is. Nice. Uh, we've also got a bit from, um, well, me, actually. Um, you won't hear the entire story, but you hear like a short clip of me reading a story because what we've got coming up is our annual storytelling night. Yeah, it's called Bittersweets, Ugly Tales for Beautiful Souls. And it's basically like Jack and Ori, yeah. but for spooky stories. We've selected short stories with a spooky theme of bittersweets. That's our theme this year. Um, and they'll be read um, live on stage on the 26th of October. Yeah, and uh, tickets are... I know people say this all the time, but tickets are genuinely selling quite healthfully. Yeah. It's um, Cast Iron's... Uh, really, it's Cast Iron's inaugural show at Sweet Venue's new venue mm. at Middle Street in Brighton. Um, the venue has... Um, we've Sweet has been like juggling about three venues over the year, mm. uh, but uh, this is our first show at the new venue, so we're very excited. Yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, so yeah, this is just a, a short uh, clip. But if you've got, if you want to chat to us about the work that you do in Brighton, uh, whether it be creatively or not so creatively, do get in touch with us, and we'll get you hooked up on a podcast coming soon. For now, enjoy this one. Willing with uh, JD Henshaw. How are you? Um, fantastic. Uh, when, you. when do you get down here? Uh, I got down here today. I, I flew all the way down. So was it a nice flight? Was it? Was it? Was it? Or was it more of a Langoliers sort of flight? Uh, it, was, it was quite Langoliers, if I'm yeah. honest. Yeah. 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 It really was. I wish I'd been able to sleep through to oblivion. Yeah. yeah. But no. But no. You ended no. up in uh, Brighton. I ended up in Brighton for the third Brighton Horror Fest. It is the third one. You were saying I don't know how we're going to edit this out and whether I'm going to be here, but you were saying in the launch that this is the biggest program yet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 21 shows across two weeks. Well, 13 days. Yes. There's probably a number in that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, and you famously, you, you you don't actually go into Halloween. It's in the lead up towards Halloween. Exactly. That's because conscious choice. Massive choice. Yeah. People are doing parties yeah. and private stuff where yeah. they want to have their friends around and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I don't want to compete with that. No, no. That is absolutely daft. Yeah. I want people to have the best run-up to their Halloween yeah. possible and have just an amazing October. Yeah. Now, as uh, the uh, curator, you probably uh, uh, cannot sort of give a shout-out to shows that you might personally be looking forward to. Absolutely. But uh, there might be shows that you feel we're not aware of yet and deserve a shout-out. So is there anything on the this description? Oh, crikey, that is... What... what, what? What constitutes that show? That's incredibly tricky, isn't it? It might be, um, it might be a, um, a company that's doing new work that they haven't done before, Absolutely. or it might be a company that's entirely new to us, um, yeah. or something that's... Well, I mean, I, you're, you're standing in front of a, a massive, lovely display of posters, and there's a, um, a show that I've not noticed in the programme, but I'm immediately um, alerted to by dint of its poster, because it looks like an old Hammer Horror Amicus-type poster. And that's got my ticket straight away, just on the show for the poster yes mistress to the midnight yeah absolutely so um that's coming from dirty white boys um they're a huge 
success in Edinburgh Fringe Circles, um, great comedy duo, but they have this really entrenched love of horror. Yeah. Um, I've known them for years, and they are finally bringing a new piece of work that is going away from the stand-up and that sort of work they've been doing in Edinburgh to one of their core loves, which is exactly what you're talking about, that 60s and 70s glorious Technicolor insert other brands here horror Um, so yes they've rediscovered a classic film that they're bringing to stage which actually is a theme softly in the fringe because there's another show which is about an undiscovered cult piece of uh, uh, entertainment from the 70s or earlier yes yes unburied yeah absolutely it feels a bit like not children of the stones but it feels a bit like it's absolutely feeding into that, that yeah children of the stones owl service yeah. um, stone tape all yeah. of that period of television yeah that place where folk horror met I suppose what would be called 70s science horror yes. almost yeah yeah where quater mats would live yeah. things like that yeah, yeah. absolutely and uh, so we, we, we've got Mill Goble here um, uh, offering popcorn in pumpkin head things. Uh, you, you're doing the usherette vibe today. A bit, a bit like a, um, a Rocky Horror. You, you're just waiting for me to stop talking to you so you can let go of this tray of popcorn now, really, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take it. It, it. it smells freshly baked, but it might be... Out of, oh, okay. Fresh popcorn. Wow, wow. I mean, the site we're currently standing in is um, Sweet at the Welly, yes. where we're going to be having our boutique cinema. Yes, I, I have to say that I don't recognise the films that are listed. Should I? Am I... Am I Am I failing my geek credentials? No, you have not failed at all. The entire focus of Boutique Cinema is on new or recent short film work yes. by local creatives. Yeah. Um, we may pair that up with a fine wine of a main feature. Yeah. Um, but we're not going to tell you what that is. Okay. If you want to come and see something, come and see the short. And that's um, every Friday of the... Is that right? Uh, it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So we've got yeah. six of them. Yeah, yeah. There's some phenomenal new work in there. Yeah. And you might get a surprise at the end of that of a 90 minute little bit of shock and we should say that uh, at the suite at uh, the works in middle street that that's um so uh, how many seats so suite at works is a 35 seater and um here for the launch party we're at the welly yeah which is a, a very compact 20. so yeah so if you want to get tickets for any of the shows like boutique you're gonna have to pre- it'll be advisable to pre-book i would advise yeah, it, yeah. yeah. stuff yeah. is selling out yeah yeah okay. jd henshaw thank you very much thank you so here we are at the horror fest launch uh, how are you uh, very well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's gone very well i think and, it's, it's um, and you are steve griffin i am i am the, the steve griffin uh, of of, of how, steve griffin how, how, how often uh do people momentarily mix you up with Nathan Jones because you, you, you're often I, I wouldn't double. say people mix us up but they don't know which one's which that, yeah, in yeah. terms of the name yes good kind of Griffin and or Joe yes. seems to yeah, be yeah. the, uh, the, uh, the you, acceptable do you ever get called ampersand um, I haven't no Nathan has actually claimed the ampersand oh, okay yes we've, we've agreed that if we go our separate ways yeah. I'll be Griffin and he'll be and Jones yeah yeah so he'll get so 70% well, I, I think in terms of syllables, I yeah. think it, um, it yeah. balances out quite nicely, yeah. which is important. And you guys have two, is it two shows or? 
Uh, we're doing two shows at Horrorfest, yes. And so what are these? Uh, the two shows are Talking to the Dead, a seance. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing it for a few years now. Um, it keeps growing and changing and yeah. sort of mutating like a virus each time we do it. And I think it's just oh, getting better and better. Yeah. So we're very excited to bring that back to Horrorfest. And it is what it says on the moving Ouija board. It is a seance. It, 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 it is a seance. Yeah. It's not uh, like, you know, like for the most part, we're magicians. It is not a magic show. No. Um, it's, it's a theatrical experience, but it's not a play. Yeah. It's, it's 12 people plus us. Uh, plus us sat around a table doing all the things that the Victorian spiritualists would have done yeah. in a seance. Glass moving and pendulum swinging and uh, it's all lit by candlelight until it's not lit at all. And we should make it clear that those 12 people are, are the, the audience. Oh, yes. it's, it's, it's a limited audience. Oh, very much yeah, yeah. so. Very limited. Yeah. Very limited yeah. indeed. Um, which it, it needs to be. It needs that intimacy, yeah, yeah. That, 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 uh, that immediacy, uh, which is really which is really at the heart of what it is, I think. And how many dates does Talking to Dead have at the Horror Fest? Just two. Just two, so literally only 24 people? 24, that's all we can, that's all we can see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we've sold most of that. Oh, okay, so it's a limited ticket. Oh, very yeah, much yeah, so, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So if people are interested, they, they should probably pounce on that. And, yeah. what, and what's the other show? Uh, the other show is Father of Lies. Oh, what's this? Uh, it's, it's a new one for us, actually. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it, it's a show that's been going on for a couple of years, um, and... And basically, Nathan Jones and I are the new cast of it. You're the new incarnation. We are, we are, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we took it on um, for Edinburgh Fringe this year, yeah. and we had a sellout run. Um, and basically, what it is, it's part, part play, part lecture, part storytelling. It tells the story of a very gruesome and mysterious murder case yeah. that happened in Germany in the 1970s. And it's, 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 it's a combination of, of, of telling the story and reenacting parts of the story and really just playing with the idea that no one really knows what happened. Yeah. And so trying to kind of tap into the audience's belief systems in the hope that people will come away with their own theories yeah. as, to, as to what the missing pieces of the puzzle were. And that's Father of Lies. Father and of how Lies many dates does that have? And that is two nights, uh, last weekend of the Fringe. Yeah. Um, and that is in, that's in Sweet Work. So we got 35 tickets for each. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's slightly more available yeah. than, uh, than Talking to the Dead, yeah. Uh, uh, here's a, a question for the Horror What's your favourite scary movie? Oh, do you know what? I hate that question because it changes every time I get asked. Um, favourite scary movie? Yeah, on today, the uh, 16th <laughs> of October 2018. You know I'm, I'm going to go for a controversial one here, on. which is right now Nightmare on Elm Street 2 ah uh, the one on the bus uh, yes. yes 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 with the possession and, yeah. uh, and the ribbit like among Nightmare on Elm Street fans it's yeah. generally kind of dumped upon in the nicest possible way because it doesn't really follow a lot of the established tropes of the series and it's quite clearly whether this is a criticism or a compliment it's quite clearly a cash-in on the success of the first film yes yes it is it's inhabiting that space because it's a bit like um, uh, Halloween part two you know, oh so. yes yeah. Yeah, yeah which again you know in a lot of cases you, you just don't really talk about it's the kind of it's the ugly stepchild isn't it but I think for me like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 there's a couple of things first of all it's a good horror film it's just not a good Nightmare on Elm Street film 
Number two, people criticise it for not following the rules of the series, but if we're honest, the first film didn't really follow the rules that it set out for well, itself. Arguably, the one that sort of really brings the attention to most audiences is Nightmare on the Street 3, which totally ignores a lot of the rules in the first two movies and sets the tropes there. It really, yeah, it sets, sets the tone for the rest of the series, really. I mean, kind in, of. in um, uh, Friday the 13th, does he not get his mask until about film five or something? I think it's the third Yeah, yeah. One. Oh, yeah, 3D, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's, two, that's two films where... The first one, it's, it's not even Jason Voorhees, yeah, yeah. is it? Like, well, you, spoiler alert, you, obviously, but, you know. You've watched Scream. Um... But yeah, you're right. It, yeah. The, 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 what we think of as a franchise doesn't kick in until the third film in. No, and even then it's only really finding its feet. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but the, 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 the final reason that I go for uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is because it's probably the first proper horror film that I saw. I walked in on my brother watching it when I was a very small child. Yeah. And I don't think I could sleep or go anywhere on my own no. for several weeks afterwards. And I think other than the trauma that it caused yeah. me, I think that in a twisted kind of way brought about my love of horror yeah where, where, where did you grow up uh, I, I grew up in Surrey so, so not lots of yellow school buses in Surrey not really no like, it, luckily. It, it wasn't something I could relate to on a very direct no, no, level no, no. no but um, but it still uh, definitely terrified me in ways I had never experienced before um, so yeah it, it would always have a, a place in my heart for that reason Fantastic. Steve Griffin have a great heart an absolute pleasure and you thank you so speaking to Tracy Wise at the Suite at the Ready at the Horror Fest launch. Uh, hello. Hello, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, what, uh, what are you bringing to the Horror Fest this year? I am bringing um, a brand new show that I've devised called Nursery Crimes, the dark origins of nursery rhymes and fairy tales. So it's a mixture of storytelling and magic, bizarre magic. Excellent. And, and so that taps into the idea that some of us are somewhat aware of, but maybe many of us aren't, is that the original versions of um, those Germanic and elsewhere sort of fairy stories are a lot more gruesome and blood-stained and stump-ridden than perhaps we might expect. Absolutely. So they're not just grim by name, they are definitely grim by nature. But even some of our nursery rhymes that are still sung in school playgrounds today have got very dark origins, which if people understood where they come from, perhaps they wouldn't be skipping along to them yeah. or loving their children to sleep by yeah, some of them are, are they're quite genuinely quite ugly. Yes. Yeah. Um, are there ones that you have found that you found too much? Better there were too much, and you still put them in the show. But the <laughs> ones that you were genuinely a bit disturbed by. There are ones that surprise me. So, for example, there is um, a nursery rhyme which we explore about Mary Cotton, one of our most prolific serial killers. Uh, it's still sung today in school playgrounds, certainly in northern counties, and perhaps nobody really remembers where it's come from. But what kind of fascinates and draws me is the, the real original versions where there was no happy ending. Yeah. And actually, there was quite a lot of cannibalism and um, premeditated murder going on. So those are quite surprising, but nothing so far that's made me think that's a bit too much. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's some nursery rhymes that strictly speaking are not nursery rhymes and they're original incarnations and they were not intended to be sending children to sleep but some of them were and that's quite strange isn't it in terms of what sort of society we might have been at that point that we, we have children singing songs about killers or um, unpleasant death why did we do that? I can understand why it might have changed over time and we've forgotten the meaning. Why did we do it in the first place? I think um, for, for some, if you take, for example, the, the rhymes to do with Lizzie Borden, Lizzie yeah. Borden took an axe, um, 
that was actually devised by children in the neighbourhood to taunt and to ridicule yeah. um, and to drive, drive her out. So in, in those contexts, I think it's just a way of reflecting what's happening in society at the time. Yeah. Almost like a political statement. Yes. Um, which was taken all of these children. Being children will run with that and drive people nuts with it. And then over time, it's just become part of our culture. Yeah, I've been aware um, of in recent years that some children are not chasing each other with screams of the boogeyman but they are you know at the age of three they're genuinely chasing each other around the um, playground with screams of we're being chased by donald trump so there, there are there are the, what, if you were going to devise a new nursery rhyme now to disturb us who might be your point or what might be your point of origin Gosh, so many possible candidates for that one. It's almost impossible to narrow down. I think, for me, perhaps the the biggest impact would be something to do probably with um, the impact of social media and, and the fact we've all got our heads down and not up. And yeah. That the storytelling tradition is being lost. So somehow weaving that in, I do think, yeah, certain politicians, but I won't name them here. Okay, no, no, uh, we, we might all be dead before this podcast comes out, so it's all fine. Um, and the question that we've been asking people on the podcast tonight is um, there might be a, a favourite scary movie or a favourite TV show from your youth that you used to. What, what creeps you out? What, what movie uh, or TV programme would upset you? It, it's quite interesting that although I'm, I'm quite fascinated with murder and death and all this kind of thing, I, I find it really hard to watch most horror films, but I, I like things like Nosferatu. Oh, yes. Um, and I also like um, the psychological horror, so Paranormal Activity, yeah. uh, Blair Witch Project, first one, second one. Um, but from my childhood, it was something as simple as, as Doctor Who, yes. but not the Daleks. They never scared me. No. I couldn't go upstairs back then, but the Cybermen. Yes. Um, it's things that potentially look feasible and look like they could be part of our society, then turn into something you know, quite dark and treacherous. Things that look human but aren't yes. also a, a continuing theme of those things that you mentioned all seem to be shadows yes. they're all things that, that, that something that you can't quite see absolutely like that certain thing that you you see out of the corner of your eye but when you turn it's not quite there yeah yeah, yeah. it's that sort of thing that gets Fantastic. me uh, tell us again the name of your show and the dates okay so the name of the show is nursery crimes it's at sweetworks 2 uh, there are two performances each day on saturday the 27th and sunday the 28th of october fantastic thank you very much thank you, thank you. So we're here at the uh, horror fest with sylvia scepter hello 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 so are uh, you looking forward to the horror fest this year very much so is, yeah. it, your, is it your first horror fest uh, it is my first horror yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, what what are you bringing to Brighton? I'm bringing my show Phantasmagorical, which is a show about uh, spooky mind reading and magic, but it's set within a Victorian spirit theatre context. So it's very spooky, very eerie. It's quite authentic. Yeah. So it's quite. I take inspiration from the Victorian spiritualists, yeah. um, which is an area of magic I'm really interested in because I'm, I'm actually a magician, so that's what I do: magician and actor. Uh, sorry, some cheese and pineapple just went past. Yes. Very important. In a pumpkin head. In a, yes, in yeah. a pumpkin. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm performing. So you did. Um, so you say that's so one of your. Um areas of interest is Victoriana um, mesmerism and mind reading yeah. um, are there any sort of um, anecdotes or sort of interesting things that don't make it into your show that you found in your research that you go oh that, that's something that piqued your interest just to throw that question at you yeah that, you have just thrown me that there are something they give me 10 seconds and yeah. I'll come back to you I'm sure there has been 
Well, there's Anna Eva Fay, and she was a mind reader and magician who worked as a spiritualist in the Victorian times. And she has, she used to give out mementos, these little tokens, which are got this beautiful design on. And she, anyone that used to come to the show and used to help out or have their minds read, she used to give them a token. And I've actually recently acquired one of these tokens. Oh, wow. Yeah, Fantastic. It's so I feel really honoured to, to be that token's curator. Now, obviously, there are a lot of. Um Mediums or mesmerists, uh, well, not such mesmerists, I guess, were mainly men, but um, mind readers and contact the dead, who were a lot of women. Were they in charge of their own business or were they managed? Or did, were they able to control their own business back in the Victorian era? You know about this? Well, it wasn't really run as a business per se, so what would happen is these women developed gifts. Um, women were seen to have more kind of intuition and they became natural leaders in this area. And more and more women started to do it. In a society where they didn't have any power, in the seance room, they were queen. So they were an awful lot of um, power and they weren't given money as such, but they were gifted. So a lot of the time women went to stay with aristocrats and um, stay there for a couple of months and they'd be given gifts and somewhere to stay. And so, yeah. some people then developed on it was getting more money. But normally women of the kind of higher classes that did it, they weren't paid as such, but they were kind of gifted. And so their, their lives would be just a lot more comfortable, a lot easier than that. Yeah. Here's a question that we've been asking people at the Horror Fest. Um, if you have like a, a favourite scary movie, if there's a movie that, or, or even an old TV programme that you enjoy that you'd go for, for your creepiness. Uh, yeah, well, one of my favourite movies is, of course, The Exorcist, oh, yes. which I think is a fabulous movie. Um, I also really like a film called The Awakening, oh, yes. which has got Rebecca Hall in. Yes. I love that film, I think it's great. Great film, very spooky. Yeah. Very atmospheric. Um, let me see what else is quite. Uh, strange case of Norel and. Jonathan Norel and. Yeah, yes. I think that series is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Excellent. Uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank, thank you. you. I thought to ask you at the end of our chat, um, which actually you, out of all of you I've spoken tonight, might be the most well-placed to answer, but also might be the person that will find it most difficult. Oh my gosh, pressure. What is your favourite scary movie or TV programme? Oh, well, thank you for asking. What do you go to? Um... Oof, what am I into? Oh, no, what do you go to? So if you're going to go, that, that, or what would you recommend? What you know, as an older brother or horror, where you go, here's what you do. That's a great question. That's really good. Um... Can I can I do three? Yes, you can. Great. So I will always direct you to go and watch Night of the Living Dead. Yes. Because it is seminal and important and without any spoilers, it is representative of some really interesting things yeah. in terms of cast that is crucially important and ultimately defies everything that horror then does in those sort of films We're still for the doing next that now. 30, 40 years. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's the one, sometimes uh, this is an over-laboured point about horror, that it's social commentary about the tensions that are going on in the country or at the time. But that's unavoidably true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, zombie movies in particular are rife with politics. Yeah. You, can't, you just can't get past yeah. it. So there. You, you have to accept that. Otherwise, why would you want to be scared of it? Yeah. You've got to be scared of something, and it's the real world that you're scared of, so that is what will be reflected in horror always yeah. um, but the question was what would I tell someone to watch 
Um, I would then tell someone to watch Deep Red, which is filmed by Dario Argento, a piece of Italian horror. Um, I know most people would probably say something like Suspiria, but Deep Red is my personal favourite. Why is that? Because um, it's just a really clever crime film at the same time as yeah. being a slasher. In that sense. It, it, would you argue that slasher is almost incidental to the point? Yes. Or? Yes, I would. Yeah. There's, there's a mystery to be solved in it. It's a proper giallo and I just think it looks sumptuous. And any film that tells you everything that's going to happen within the first 15 minutes and then waits for you to catch up is brave. That's cute. It's very um, cute. Some of our listeners may not, because we're mainly a theatre podcast rather than a film podcast, may not know what Jallo is. Um, so Jallo is the Italian word for yellow, which was the colour of the pages, um, the surround of the pages, for pulp novels. Yeah. Um, and so they are hmm, complicated. They are horror movies, but they're also crime movies. They're yeah. typically predicated by uh, an actual murder rather than the ostensibly supernatural. There's not vampires or monsters yeah. in them. There, though, normally is a fairly thick thread of the supernatural yes. or the preternatural. That might be a better term. Within them, like psychic phenomena, stuff like that. But ultimately, they are typically... They are crime procedurals. So um, I am now really w- wanted to have seen a Philip Marlowe, Elliot Gould, Dallow movie. Yeah, that, that would work. Yeah, that yeah. Would absolutely makes yeah. sense. Absolutely makes yeah. 100% sense. Um, so, third film. Um, so now I'm going to get trippy and I'm going to ask you to watch Barbarian Sound Studio, which is directed by Peter Strickland, stars yeah. the amazing Toby Jones, and is a film entirely about sound. Awesome. And it has connections to that giallo genre. Yes. Um, but it's constantly about defying what you see and is entirely about how sound affects your mind. Now, um, you might be a person who has an actual sound system connected to your home entertainment system. That, that might be a possibility. Obviously, it's not vital that you have. No. Uh, uh, but with a film like that, has there been elements of that film directed that you, you'd benefit from that from sound screen to a different way? No. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, well, yes, you will always benefit, but that's a, that's a film thing in general. Yeah. Any film that's been well made yeah. should benefit from a good sound system. But I think it's the act of what you hear and what you see. Yeah. And that does not mean you need to have some all singing, all dancing, seven point ones around. You know, that, that's not it. It's not binaural sound beats. But it's the connectivity between vision and hearing. And that I find fascinating. It's, it sounds like it might be a, in, a sister to films like Blow Up and Blow Out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely, you're quite right. Yeah. Um, and its relationship to things like Italian horror or spaghetti westerns is fairly obvious because most of those films are ADR. Yeah. So everybody is dubbed. Even at any moment. So the lead actor will redub themselves. Yes. Because there are people speaking English, there are people speaking Italian, and in the middle there is Pigeon English and Pigeon Italian, and they redub it for Italy and then redub it for uh, an English speaking audience. So Barbarian Sound Studio leans heavily into that concept, and what you hear and what you see do not necessarily connect. It's a bit art house crazy, but I think it's worth it. And talking about things that we're listening to, um, all throughout the Horror Fest, there's been like a, a soundtrack of spooky the related bits of music and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you created that or if that was um, somebody else on the sweet team. Um, but let's go end with a weird question. A spooky inspired or horror drenched song. 
you know, the, the, the one that you, the one that you might have played at your unexpected funeral. Um, oh well, I mean that would almost be the entire soundtrack for It Follows, um, because I would just like people to feel that way. Um, but also, Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here" that will definitely be played when I'm getting rolled in. Excellent, JD Henshaw. Thank you again. Thank you. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkin. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and our website, castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening.